Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Thanks for being here. It is Wednesday, March 10th, 2021, and today's the day. Today's the day that the House of Representatives will pass the final version of the COVID stimulus economic relief bill. That was my horn. And guess what? Tens of millions of Americans are going to get stimulus checks. Now, it says $1,200, but remember, those were from last time. Guess what, folks? It's now going up $1,400. Wow. Hey, free money. Hey, uh, folks, I got news for you. Nothing's free. It ain't free. It's called your money, taxpayer money. Anyhow, we're going to discuss uh, all of that and what's inside the bill. And if you think it's a bunch of stuff aimed directly at fighting COVID, yeah, right. Think again. Also today, the Second Amendment under attack. Democrats are at it again, this time on the issue of guns. The bill is called H.R. 8. Remember it. Look it up. Study it. We're going to break it down today on the show. And the game of chess between the United States and Iran. What will the Biden administration do? You know they're itching to do an Iran nuclear deal 2.0, but what will that mean for Israel and the broader Middle East? Jason Greenblatt will be here to discuss. He was a top official in the Trump administration who worked very hard on achieving those peace deals in the Middle East. But first, I want to talk about this economic uh, stimulus bill. I'm sorry, the COVID economic stimulus bill that has a bit to do with COVID and not much else. Uh, Let me tell you what it does stimulate, by the way. It stimulates progressives who love the huge price tag. They also love the fact that it includes items like $34 billion, uh, a $34 billion expansion in Obamacare subsidies, or maybe the fact that it would allow Planned Parenthood to obtain government relief. So basically, the COVID economic stimulus bill allows the government to fund abortion. Anyhow, here's Missouri, Go- Missouri Governor, Governor Congressman <laughs> Jason Smith today on the House floor. Amazingly, Democrats are not even shy now about admitting that fact. White House Chief of Staff has called this bill the most progressive domestic legislation in a generation. Leader Schumer in the Senate called it one of the most progressive pieces of legislation in decades. We are here today. We are here today, Mr. Speaker, because Democrats made a choice, a choice to put their own partisan political ambitions ahead of the needs of the working class, ahead of the needs of the American people. When our Democrat colleagues speak of unity, they mean keeping their party together, not pulling this country together. Well, so much to discuss with this bill. Uh, Joe Biden will sign it later this week. Uh, Someone might have to remind him what he's signing, uh, but that's a whole other issue. Let's bring in uh, Liz Harrington now, editor-in-chief of The War Room and the former GOP national spokesperson. Liz, always great to have you uh, here. Thanks for having me, David. 
You know, look, I know you have a parchment scroll of problems with this bill. Uh, what's your biggest beef? What's on the top of the Liz Harrington, you got to be kidding me list? Well, here we are all these months later, and Americans still aren't getting a $2,000 check, which was promised last year by Democrats. And instead, they're getting a bailout of blue states who absolutely uh, treated this pandemic as a disaster. They didn't do the right thing. They shut down their states. They punished their law-abiding citizens. And just like you mentioned, instead, they're being rewarded for their poor performance. And groups like Planned Parenthood, are getting a bailout. Well, what about the small businesses? What about the hardworking Americans who've been absolutely devastated by government policies and by the Chinese Communist Party really working together, the left and the CCP? This is a continuation of that. And this is almost $2 trillion when only less than 10% of it actually goes to fighting the Chinese Communist Party virus. So where does the rest of it go? Congress probably didn't even read this bill. It's another 700 pages on top of the 5,000-page bill that the establishment passed in December. This is more business as usual for Washington. And I think the American people are the ones that are going to suffer because it doesn't address any actual problems. It puts us more in debt and more beholden to the CCP. And Liz, at this point, I mean, we haven't even gotten to talk about prisoner uh, stimulus checks for prisoners, I mean, for inmates. I mean, so the list goes on. Uh, the Democrats are convinced that this bill, they call it, what, the most progressive uh, bill in X amount of years or whatever it is, or maybe ever, I don't know what they're talking about. But they think that's a winning talking point, maybe with the progressives, but I'm just wondering how this plays in Peoria, if you will. They think it, they see polling, they think it might play well, I, I don't know. It's not going to play well because Americans are going to see they don't get anything. They don't get any benefit from this radical legislation. And unfortunately, I think it's just the beginning mm -hmm. of what Nancy Pelosi, uh, Joe Biden, as you mentioned, he doesn't even know what he's going to be signing, but what the Biden regime is planning for this country, which is more in debt. I mean, they're going to try to do a $2 trillion infrastructure, $2 trillion Green New Deal this year. Of course, we know how uh, what a disaster the so-called Equality Act, which would absolutely destroy uh, women's sports and put us at a lower uh, playing field when it comes to equality and H.R. 1. I mean, their plans they have are plans to put themselves in a position for a permanent one party rule. It's very dangerous and we really need to mobilize against it because this is just the beginning. This is two trillion dollars away of all of our futures. But this, they're just getting started on this. I, I want to talk to you about Andrew Cuomo for for a moment. Uh, you know, wh what does it have to take for Democrats to national Democrats to say enough with the investigation? Uh, they're now what, six that have come out, six women, sexual harassment allegations. What is it? Do they need double digits? What, what, what are the, what's going on here, Liz? Takes six women and also, I guess, takes at least 12,000 dead seniors. Yeah. Uh, there, nothing's been done. And this is the really awful thing about this story is they're just using this to get him out of the way. Uh, now that he's no longer useful to the Democrat Party, they still won't hold him actually accountable, but he won't really have a future much after 
this position in New York. That's all that they're doing here. The knives are coming out just because he's not useful anymore. But the media, they'll only turn against him when they're told to. Um, they're only when really, if they were concerned about the truth and exposing wrongdoing, they would have been all over these stories last year when it actually mattered, when you had this tyrant destroying a city, destroying a state and killing thousands of seniors by sending them back into nursing homes with positive cases. That's the real tragedy here. Yeah, I'd love to listen to Chris Cuomo talk about it, but unfortunately, apparently he can't. Yeah, right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, all right. Uh, let's talk about, I mean, obviously, I got to get your take on uh, what happened this past week with this the, the Save America PAC, uh, you know, Donald Trump saying no more money for rhinos. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the RNC, uh, you know, there, this is an interesting dynamic. I mean, <laughs> leave it to Trump to do something that's never been done uh, pretty much before to say, Send your money over to my PAC, and uh, we're not going to support rhinos. Let's be honest. The RNC is going to support all Republican candidates, even if they have, if they have an R next to their name, even if they're a rhino, that money's going to go to some of that. So, so what, what's your take on what's happening between Trump and the Republican Party here? Well, he has every right to have con full control over his likeness and who uses him for their benefit. I mean, is this not the most swamp thing ever where you have the very same people who wouldn't defend him, wouldn't go to bat for election integrity between November 3rd and January 20th, wouldn't get to the bottom of Arizona while we still have 2.1 million ballots that are being going through right now. Now they say, well, let's you now that President Trump's out of the way, Let's still use him to make money. That is wrong. And President Trump has every right to have control over his brand. He's a pretty he's pretty good at it. I don't know if you've yeah. noticed. Uh, but if you have the NRCC saying, oh, yeah, the people, the 10 Republicans who are total traitors, not just not to President Trump, it's not about President Trump, but to their voters, to what their voters want, they're still going to get the benefit of the most popular, most successful Republican in history? I don't think so. And that's what this is about. The swamp wants to keep the game going. They want to keep the grift going. But you're not going to get the support of your voters. And guess what? Nobody's going to be donating to these groups who betrayed the president anyway by not sticking up and standing in the way of a stolen election. And that's exactly what happened after November 3rd. Yeah, Liz, as we wrap up here, I want to ask you kind of like the Dr. Phil Oprah question to you, if you will, put you on the psychological couch. I mean, how has this been for you? Um, you know, what color would you be? Just kidding. Uh, but, you know, how has this <laughs> been? How has this been for you? Look, you're the former uh, national spokeswoman for the Republican Party. You have Donald Trump, uh, who, who obviously, you know, channeled uh, quite a quite a few different uh, aspects of the Republican Party that were not seen before. But 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 there's this a bit of tension. What has this process been for you? Because you've kind of had to play both both roles for a time. But but it seems like you're you have to move along with the process. How has this been for you specifically? Well, I think it's just heartbreaking, to be honest with yeah. you, when you see a lot of people's true colors come out, when you see what's happening to the country. I, in a lot of ways, what happened, so, so many people got rich off President Trump when he sacrificed so much just for the country, just to make this country great, 
the best wage growth we've ever seen in 2019. Those policies work. Yeah. They're, they're important to people's lives and livelihoods. And to see it all thrown away, not because we lost, not because we didn't give it our all, but because not enough had the courage to do the right thing and just say, we want accountability. Let's actually look at the ballots. Let's make sure the Constitution was followed. And yep. so few rose to the occasion right. to do the right thing. So that's the disappointing thing here. A hundred percent. I understand that. Uh, Liz uh, Harrington, always great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, and she's absolutely right, folks. Uh, you know, you really got to see, uh, you know, the, the, the division there in terms of who was going to be fighting for, for kind of truth and justice, if you will, election integrity, and who was just going to say, you know what, I'm out. Back in a moment. Jason Greenblatt, next. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Cooler, everybody. Uh, thanks for being here on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Just double checking. Yes, it's March 10th. You know, look, when it comes to age, just let you know, you always check in typically hourly to make sure you know exactly what day it is. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, we know about the COVID economic stimulus bill and all that jazz and all the domestic stuff that's going on, Equality Act, HR1. But what is happening in the Middle East may uh, concern a few folks uh, who are really paying close attention to what's happening, especially as it relates to Iran. And the question is, why did uh, Joe Biden wait for a while, quite a while, to call Benjamin Netanyahu over there? He hasn't even talked to Saudi Arabia. Anyhow, we'll talk about that now uh, with our special guest, Jason Greenblatt, the former White House envoy uh, to the Middle East. Jason, great to have you on the show. Honored to bet you're here, sir. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Jason, give me kind of a 30,000-foot view of what you've seen so far from the Biden administration as it relates to kind of that, those dealings with the Middle East, or maybe lack thereof. I know there's uh, some concern that that's not necessarily what their focus is right now. What, what's your sense of what's going on? Well, on a positive note, I'm glad to see they're not terribly focused on the Israeli-Palestinian peace process because... For the moment, that's going nowhere anywhere, uh, anyway, and I don't think they should be focused on that. However, I'm deeply concerned about how they're handling Iran and how they're handling one of our most important allies in the region, which is the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. On Iran, we're getting a lot of mixed messaging out of them. You know, on the one hand, they're saying they're not going to remove the sanctions until they see some movement out of Iran. But some movement out of Iran, what does that mean? I mean, we can't continue to have ostrich diplomacy. The Iranian regime is an enemy of the United States. They're an enemy of our closest ally in the Middle East, Israel. And they're an enemy of all of our allies in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and others. And uh, we can't pretend that this regime is really interested in acting like a normal nation. Yeah. And um, I, with ahead. respect. Sorry, go ahead. No, tell, go. You want to say Saudi Arabia, I'm sure. Go ahead. Yeah, with, exactly. With respect to Saudi Arabia, I mean, it's really distressing to me to see how they're treating Saudi Arabia. The strength, security, and stability of Saudi Arabia is important, number one, because they're an important ally of ours, and the people in Saudi Arabia deserve to be treated with respect. But their stability is really important to all of our allies in the region. And the fact that they are um, treating them with such disrespect and disregard 
the attacks on Saudi Arabia from the Iran-funded Houthi uh, terrorists, not not uh, militia, terrorists, let's you call them what they are. The removal of the terrorist designation was a big mistake. And they have to stand by Saudi Arabia, not just in words. They have to mean what they say and not just use this sort of weak words that are coming out of the State Department about how they support Saudi Arabia. But what does that mean? Let's see some action. Let's see them support Saudi Arabia in words and anything Saudi Arabia needs to keep its society and its civilians and its oil infrastructure and everything else safe is what should be happening right now. What the Biden administration should focus on right now. Jason, everything is so linked in the Middle East. Why, why do you think they've been kind of passive on Saudi Arabia? Uh, or when I say passive, you know, they really haven't uh, done what they, they need to do in terms of shoring up some of that relationship. What, what, is that have to do with Iran, clearly, or is it more than that? I think it's more than that. Certainly, it has to do with Iran. I think they think that if they can show how they're not quite standing by Saudi Arabia, who is obviously no friend of Iran, maybe that scores some points with Iran. I think that's a mistake. I think you have to treat Iran by showing them strength, not weakness, and not by ignoring or pushing aside our allies like Saudi Arabia. But I think President Biden made it clear during the campaign that he wants to make Saudi Arabia the pariah that it is, I think was his quote, something like that. That's a very, very mistaken outlook. And I hope that those around him and he come to their senses and recognize that treating Saudi Arabia other than with great respect for the powerful and important nation that it is, is only going to lead to problems in the Middle East, and it is not going to lead to a proper, thorough, and appropriate deal with the regime in Iran. Yeah, I want to circle back to something you said on that first answer about, uh, I think you used the word ostrich diplomacy uh, as it relates to Iran. Uh, I, I can kind of decipher what you meant by that, but I'd be curious, especially our viewers, uh, what, what did you mean specifically by ostrich diplomacy? How, how would you define that, and what does it mean in the context of Iran and the United States? So the situation with the terrorist Houthis in Yemen attacking Saudi Arabia with drones and missiles is no different than the Iran-funded terrorists Hamas in Gaza who are raining rockets down on Israel from time to time. We, we not we, not me, right? But the Biden administration is pretending that these terrorists don't exist, that they're not terrorists, that they're not attacking our friends and allies, that they're not Iran-funded. They have to recognize them for what they are and realize that we have to allow our friends and allies to defend themselves and to stand up to terrorism and call it out for what it is. Instead, what they're doing is sort of pretending, I think the State Department spokesman used a, a Shiite militia label instead of Iran regime label. They want to pretend these things don't exist. They don't want to say these things out loud in the hopes that they don't offend Iran. That is not what is going to happen. They have to speak clearly, forcefully. They have to recognize reality and then try to work with the right people, the right partners, to see if mm -hmm. a solution can be had. If a solution can't be had, that means we still have to stand with our allies and friends. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap up here, uh, and you've got about a minute, minute and a half to, to tell me about this, but uh, as it relates to Israel, uh, it kind of all ties back in a way to Israel, the state of Israel. Uh, you, Jared Kushner, David Friedman, so many others uh, work tirele tirelessly on these Mideast peace deals with Bahrain, UAE, and others. Uh, what, what is your biggest concern as to what the Biden administration is or is not doing with respect to Israel and what that means for uh, their security uh, right now abroad? Yeah, and I'd like to add Avi Berkowitz as well, who worked with us on that. Of course, yes. Um, Look, the, the, the Biden administration needs to engage with Israel fully, not just on security, but on the diplomatic achievements that the Trump administration was able to get with respect to 
connections and normalization agreements with the Arab world. They should be building on that. I am glad to see that the Biden administration supports that. But now the question is going to be, are they going to move on that in a positive way? If they choose to ignore it, that's a big historical miss. These are separate issues. You know, they always try to tie the normalization agreements with the Palestinian issue. Yes, we'd love for the Palestinian issue to be resolved, but as the Trump administration has proven, the Arab-Israeli conflict can be solved separately from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I'd like to see them recognize that, continue to push for normalization, and if they can make any kind of progress to make Palestinian lives better and reach some sort of interim peace accord, that's great. But it shouldn't come at the expense of the normalization agreements and standing by Israel through and through with respect to its security and its uh, very uh, robust economy. Yeah, Jason Greenblatt, you uh, really appreciate you being here. You took a unique approach, uh, you and the team at the White House, to Middle East peace and uh, really marched the ball more than just down the field, historic uh, peace support. So really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Jason Greenblatt here on the show. Uh, big deal. Uh, I say a mover and a shaker uh, for sure in the Middle East. Look them up. Google that plus Israel and Middle East. They'll be there right this day. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you miss uh, Donald Trump? <laughs> because if you've looked at the House floor lately, you might miss him even more. It has been a uh, liberal smorgasbord of bills. The Equality Act, H.R. 1. Now we have H.R. 8. Uh, here we go. Should call it H.R. Anti-Second Amendment is what they should call it. But anyhow, H.R. Uh, 8, uh, and I put on my glasses. This is what it says. To require a background check for every firearm sale. The devil's in the details. They're ironing that out. They're voting. They're looking at voting on that uh, today, Wednesday, on the House floor. Let's bring in Rick Green, a founder of PatriotAcademy.com. Rick, always great to have you on the show, sir. My pleasure, David. Good to be back with you. Now, I feel like if I say H.R. 8 and the Second Amendment, I might not be able to talk for the next seven and a half minutes because you're just going to go at it. But uh, how do I say this, Rick? Go at it. Uh, <laughs> Democrats and the Second Amendment, uh, here we go. The, the bills are flying, Rick. Well, you know, look, I mean, uh, most people will say, hey, common sense says you shouldn't allow guns in the hands of criminals or allow guns in the hands of the, of the mentally ill. Um, and, and the problem with all of these pieces of legislation is that it, it has a premise that says that government can somehow keep that from happening. But all of these bills that get passed when states do these things, they still don't prevent the criminals from. Does anybody think the criminals are going to follow this kind of a law? That's not where they get their guns. They steal their guns from people that have bought them legally. They exchange their guns amongst themselves, and they're still not going to submit to any background check, even if H.R. 8 is, is passed. So what this does is it infringes upon the law-abiding citizens of America. And the founders said that if you at all violate this, what they called first law of nature, to be able to defend yourself, if you violate that ability to have a firearm, to protect yourself with that firearm, or infringe upon it at all, that liberty is in danger. In fact, I'll read a quote to you real quick from St. George Tucker, one of our founders, 
who said wherever the right of the people to keep and bear arms is prohibited under any color or pretext whatsoever, liberty, if not already annihilated, is on the brink of destruction. That's how dangerous these kind of bills are. They do not help. They do not stop crime, but they do infringe upon liberty. So where do where does that leave folks that that want to see what they would call common sense background checks? You know, in other words, uh, maybe some folks that shouldn't have a gun, uh, you know, they, I know that sounds kind of crazy that I said shouldn't have a gun because the whole point of the Second Amendment is you have a right to, you know, bear arms. But yeah. but but what I'm trying to say is that you're mentioning the federal government. What about at the state level, the local level? How should this work kind of in theory or should it not work at all as it relates to what government can do and can't do? Yeah, it, it just does not work. I mean, even if we wanted it to work, there is no theory that can work w with regard to this, because no matter what restrictions or how hard you make it or how strong of a background check you put um, in place, the criminal is still going to get their firearm. They're going to be buying it out of the, the trunk of somebody else's uh, car. They're going to be stealing it from your house. So here's what these laws actually do. If, if you implement H.R. 8, for instance, uh, let's say that, that, that I've got a young lady in my neighborhood that's been through my firearms course. She's, she's trained. She's capable. Uh, she knows how to use that firearm. She hasn't, doesn't have one yet. And she gets threatened by an ex-boyfriend who says he's coming over and he's going to take care of her in the next day. Well, if she comes to me and asks for a firearm, I'm not allowed to sell her one under, under this law. If, if she goes to uh, the store to buy one, she's got to wait 10 days. And in that 10 days, the threat on her... Uh, it's going to be too late. And so that's why these laws just simply do not work. They don't stop the criminal, but they do create real problems with the law-abiding citizen being able to defend themselves. Rick, that is a great analogy, or actually a great example of what really could happen, and, and I'm glad you, you put it in those terms, because I think people need to understand what we're talking about here, kind of in, in, in the real-world scenario. Um, but let me switch over to, from H.R. Uh, 8 to H.R. 1. Uh, this is the Democrats' big enchilada of a bill. It doesn't look like it's going to pass the Senate, but in the House, uh, that's what they're doing. They, they've, they're passing H.R. 1. Uh, uh, basically, this they call it access to the ballot box, but my goodness, uh, from a constitutional perspective, Rick, I mean, take me through this, because this would, in essence, federalize so much of the election process, and, I mean, I can talk about political ramifications for this, but just from a constitutional standpoint, it seems to me like that's the antithesis of what the Constitution was about. You know, it's, uh, it's a litany of the dream list for the Democrats, uh, without question. It, th there's so many things in it, we don't have time, right, to go right. into how bad it is. I'll just give one example. It doesn't allow you to reject an absentee ballot for anything. You can't check signature. You can't check anything. You can't require voter ID. And it's the federal government telling every state in America, we're going to tell you how to run your elections. And if you want to have voter integrity by requiring an ID or checking signatures or just making sure it's only legal people voting, you cannot do that. We want to open this up to anybody and everybody. It's a horrible, horrible bill. I have to say, David, from a constitutional perspective, it does follow the letter of the law in terms of, of what Article One allows for. It does allow for Congress to modify election law. And now this isn't a modification, it's a complete takeover. So the spirit of the law is being violated here. And I think we've got some arguments on that front. But I honestly think the only way you stop this, the only way you prevent the feds from taking over uh, state election law is we have to have a constitutional amendment to strip that, that second half of Article One, Section 4, Paragraph 1. The first part of that says the states will choose. We'll do the time, place, and manner of elections. They set up all the rules. But there's a semicolon and then there's a little paragraph, a little sentence that says that Congress may from time to time modify that. 
Now, I'll tell you, Hamilton and Federalist 59 and 60, they argued this is for the extreme scenario where the states might do away with federal elections. Maybe they want to just get rid of the federal government or something extreme like that. That's what that was for. It's being used for something totally, totally different. But I think the only way we fix it in the long run is we've literally got to have a constitutional amendment saying the states get to decide this, not the federal government. Let's take out that clause that they actually argued about when it was time to ratify the Constitution. There were some warnings that someday this could happen. Well, here we are. It's happening. Well, Rick, that's interesting. I've got about 30 seconds left. But so, so what you're saying, I mean, it seems to me that if H.R. 1 was ever passed in a law, it'll be challenged, obviously. Uh, and it mo I would soon go to the Supreme Court because they're going to argue over two two portions of that clause. The first clause, states' rights, and the second clause seems to be the federalize, federalizing of election law, right? Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I'm afraid the Supreme Court would ru rubber stamp it. I'm afraid they would say yes, mm -hmm. that this, this second half does open the door for Congress to be, uh, to be able to do that. So that's where the founders' brilliance, right? They gave the states the ability to overrule everybody at the federal level. And that, that is only done through an amendment process. Two ways to do that. Congress proposes the amendment, which obviously this Congress won't, or a convention of states. The states propose that amendment and then ratify it, and we can strip that power from the federal government. I think that's absolutely essential. Otherwise, David, we'll never have free and fair elections again. And uh, we'll never elect uh, a conservative government to the federal uh, to the federal level again. Well, you know, Rick Green, I appreciate you being on uh, once again. Once again, I, we we know you're conservative, but here's the thing: you're an you're originalist, right? You're a textualist. I mean, this, this it, it's all about the Constitution, man. It, right. If we follow the Constitution, I'm okay. If we amend the Constitution, I'm okay. The will of the people is reflected in that Constitution. Rick Green, America's Constitution coach. Go to PatriotAcademy.com for more with Rick. We're back in a moment with the author of the book, The Beirut Protocol. Oh, fiction or not? CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, I, love, I love this next segment, by the way. Uh, we are going to talk to uh, Joel Rosenberg, get to him in a second. Actually, we should, probably should get to him pretty soon. Uh, but he is, let me just put up the book. Let's just put up the book, shall we? I mean, let's cut to the chase, right? The book is called The Beirut Protocol by Joel Rosenberg. And there is so much to talk about uh, regarding this. And, you know, Joel always mixes kind of like fiction with real life events. And of course, he knows the Middle East uh, so well. So I want to bring in uh, Joel uh, Rosenberg right now, who is from Israel. He, of course, is the editor in chief of All Israel News and the author of the book, The Beirut Protocol. Joel, great to see you, sir. Thank you, David. Shalom from Jerusalem. Shalom. Shalom. Peace from Jerusalem. Uh, Joel, tell us about the book. I mean, look, you're uh, I'll say it. You're a prolific, best-selling author who has written so many wonderful books. Tell us about this one and where this kind of fits in the pantheon, if you will, of your of your book legacy. Sure. Happy to do it, David. Look, the Beirut Protocol is fiction. It's a political yeah. thriller made up but it suddenly feels ripped from tomorrow's headlines. Uh, and I'll say that because, you know, for the in the 1970s, right, Lebanon, Beirut was a big story because of the civil war that was uh, erupting there. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, there was, it, the country was full of terrorism, attacking Israel all the time. The Israelis invaded and they were there for 20 years. 
So, but, but in recent years, we haven't talked about Lebanon or Beirut almost at all, except for the big terrible explosion there at their port last year. But in the Beirut Protocol, um, something happens. Um, the Israelis and the Saudis are trying to make an historic peace agreement, not unlike the Arab uh, or the Abraham Accords, but much bigger, right? The Saudi-Israeli peace deal would be the mother of all uh, Arab-Israeli peace deals, really the big kahuna, as it were. And in the novel, uh, it's close to being done. However, the U.S. is worried about Iran and its terror proxy forces, like Hezbollah in Lebanon, trying to do something that would blow up the peace process and, and, and throw it off track. So the Secretary of State wants to come visit the Israeli-Lebanon border and get a briefing, take a tour, find out what, how serious is the threat to Israel and to you know, the United States from Hezbollah, this terror proxy force by Iran. Well, Marcus Reicher, the hero of the book, a CIA operative, is, is with a team of Americans and Israelis just on an advanced trip getting everything ready to make sure it's all safe, but it isn't. There's a, this is just chapter one of the Beirut Protocol. A big terrorist attack, Hezbollah attacks. Uh, Marcus and his team are in a firefight, but in the end, they're captured, pulled into a terror tunnel, and pulled deep behind enemy lines deep into Lebanon. And suddenly, while they're underground being held captive and tortured, a, a massive missile war blows up on the surface. And that's how the Beirut Protocol begins. And suddenly, just in recent days and weeks, we've got at least a war of words going on between Hezbollah and Israel. And there's a real concern here, David, that the most likely theater for a new Middle Eastern war, God forbid, in 2021 is probably Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and what's interesting here, Joel, is that you talk about ripped from the headlines. I mean, literally, what's interesting is that it's fiction, but dot, 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 in parentheses, it really isn't because it really could happen. Uh, and, and I'm wondering about how a lot of your books are kind of uh, really kind of go there because of the experience you have in the Middle East covering what's, what's happening over there, but also just understanding the players in that region. Yeah, what I try to do when I write a political thriller is pick a worst case scenario mm -hmm. and, and then run a war game, you know? And, and, I, and what I do often uh, is sit down with former current and former senior U.S. officials, Israeli officials, Arab leaders, and I ask them, what worries you? What keeps you up at night? Um, you know, recently you had uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on the program. Um, Mike's been a friend for many years, back to when he was in the House of Representatives on the Intelligence Committee. Who knew that he was going to wind up being the Director of Central Intelligence and uh, one of the great secretaries of state of our time. But in the friendship that we've had, he's not only been a reader of the novels, he's been a great person for me to ask, what worries you, Mike, Mr. <laughs> Secretary or Mr. You know, Director? Uh, same thing with Vice President Pence and, and leaders here in Israel. And so they're much, the, these novels, yeah, there's five million sold, they're bestsellers. I love writing for the average person who wants to go on a high-speed, high-octane adventure uh, roller coaster ride into the Middle East. But because world leaders are also reading the books, 
I need to step up my game and write for them too. Yeah, let me ask you real quick something related to the book because you mentioned uh, the peace deal that would be in the works from a fictional standpoint between Israel and the Saudis. What about in real life? I mean, uh, you know, it seemed like the Trump administration was marching the ball down the field if they had, they kind of just ran out of time. I, I wonder, obviously with the Biden administration, nothing like that's going to happen, but, but where, 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 do you, where do you think that relationship is between the Saudis and Israel in terms of fiction coming to real life at some point? Well, I'm the only Israeli citizen who's not the prime minister or the head of intelligence uh, who's actually sat with the crown prince That's right. of Saudi Arabia. Uh, I've done it twice and spent hours and hours with him and his inner circle. Now, there's some things I can't say, but I, I can say, and I do say publicly, my impression is that this is a country under this leadership that wants to make peace with Israel. Now. I caught the tail end of your interview with Jason Greenblatt, and I, I agree with Jason, who is also a friend, and by the way, a, fu a fan of the novels. And I, I like that. I appreciate that about Jason. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that's, that he said to you was, um, the good news is the Biden administration and the president himself have, have said very warm and friendly things about the Abraham Accords. Yeah. That's true. It's probably, I think it's the only thing that President Biden uh, candidate Biden agreed with Trump during the campaign. Mm -hmm. But what right. we're seeing is the Biden leading the U.S. potentially into a train wreck with Saudi Arabia yeah. because they've issued a report accusing the crown prince of murder without providing any proof whatsoever. Right, right. Now, the reason I say it is because of this. Got to run in about 20 seconds, so go ahead, Joel. Okay. Give me 10 there's seconds. Concern, there's concern that Biden administration could blow up a possible israeli Saudi deal but I think they might accelerate it inadvertently so we know they need a strategic relationship with Israel against Iran. Put very succinctly, Joel, got to have you back on the show for more. You are the author, you know this, but for our viewers, <laughs> the author of the book, The Beirut Protocol. Thanks, Joel. Really appreciate that from Israel. All right, we're back in a moment with the last sip. See you in a second. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. By the way, on a quick uh, fashion note, not that I'm a fashion plate, but if you are digging the purple palette today, I would like to know, or if you don't want me to ever wear the purple again, please email us at thewatercooler at justthenews.com. Once again, thewatercooler at justthenews.com. You're thinking, why am I going to email you about your suit uh, or, or what you're wearing? Here's why. Because I'm narcissistic and I need to know if I look good. All right? I'm just going to be honest with you. All right. Speaking of, uh, I was going to say, speaking of narcissism. No, that doesn't even make any sense. Let's just go to the poll of the day. The water cooler poll of the day. Poll of the day. Sponsored by, no, we don't have a sponsor. All right. Uh, here we go. Would you describe yourself as more on the progressive or the conservative side of the political spectrum? Look at this. 30% say progressive. 42% inflection, change in voice. 42% say conservative. 
and 22% say neither. I guess they're independents, right? I mean, if, and, and, and the old 7%, not sure what I am. I don't know if I'm a Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head or a Potato Head. Any of that is uh, our one of our three polls of the day. Hey, we got more. Uh, bonus poll of the day. Are you personally committed to coexisting peacefully <laughs> in mutual tolerance with people on the other side, more conservative side of the spectrum? 84% say yes. 7% say no, 9% say not sure, could you ask the question again? But that's interesting, 84% say, yeah, I wanna, I'm committed to getting along with conservatives. Yeah, they should put dot, dot, dot until you say something stupid. All right, and here is uh, the third poll. Wow, this is a serious poll today, we got three polls. Are you personally committed to coexisting peacefully and mutual tolerance with people on the other side, as in the more progressive side of the spectrum? 67, not 82%. Isn't that interesting? 67% say, yeah, I'm committed to, uh, to coexisting peacefully with basically liberals. 67% compared to 15% who say no, 18% not sure. And why is that? Isn't that interesting? 82%. Uh, of liberals say, yeah, we'll exist with the conservatives. 67% say, uh, we'll coexist nicely with the liberals. You know why? Because this country in America is under attack by progressives, by liberal values. That's why that number is lower. It's just common sense, folks. The threat that conservatives feel is far more greater than any threat that liberals feel from conservatives. The threat is against conservatives put on by liberals in America Hence the reason for the polling. Hey, that was really good analysis. Let's save that on my resume reel. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Water Cooler. It's the end of the show, and Nick Ballasey has decided to uh, join us. I was going to say grace us with his presence, but that might be too much. Uh, Senior correspondent with JustTheNews.com. Nick, great to see you, sir. Great to see you, David. Uh, So, all right, COVID-19 this bill, obviously, uh, it's passing and it's going to go to Biden's desk. What, what do we know? Uh, they always say the devil's in the details. Uh, what, what's the devil here? No, just kidding. Well, what are the details here, Nick? Well, the Democrats used budget reconciliation, the process that allowed them to go forward with getting this bill passed without Republican votes. So during the House floor action before the final vote today, you saw Republicans upset with the lack of bipartisanship, just saying, look, we did all these other COVID relief bills before that were bipartisan, got votes from both sides, but now Biden and the Democrats have chosen a different path. Why now? Yeah, they won the election, but why did they decide to go down a different path? So that's really what the Republican criticism has really uh, gone around when you look at the speeches they've been making today. Now, When you go through the details of the bill, though, there's so much in there that Republicans are saying are not really related to uh, COVID relief. There's an $86 billion union pension bailout that's in there. There's all kinds of other measures that they're saying, look, it's not really related. $350 billion for state and local governments that the Democrats say is needed, but Republicans say there's not enough uh, 
not enough in the bill specifically saying what can be done with that money, that they want more specifics in there, who's getting it. And, and they're concerned that some states like California could be getting the money. And California seems to be in a pretty good fiscal state right now. And mm -hmm. some other states might need the money more than California. So there's a lot in this bill. I mean, there's a $1,400 uh, stimulus payment yeah. uh, going to individuals, but the Republicans are angry that there was no uh, language put into this bill prohibiting those payments from going to people who are right. in prison. Uh, so there's just there's a lot of controversy. Yep. We'll keep following where this money goes, David. Nick Ballacy, appreciate it. And by the way, let me just say, did I bury the lead? Congrats on your new baby girl, Sophie. We are very happy for you here at uh, the Water Cooler, sir. Thank you so much. That's great. And, he, and he's coherent, and he put a sentence together as a new father. Congratulations. Thank you. Nick Ballacy, looking relatively rested for a new dad. See you tomorrow. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, goal! ...or attending one live... You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.